Welcome to Mostly Talk, a podcast about business or an excuse to hear from some interesting people. We'll leave that up to you. Find out more at mostly.consulting. Hi, it's James Brewster here, podcast host on Mostly Talk. This week, I'm speaking to Breton Putter, author of books on culture, Culture Deck Decoded and his new one, Own Your Culture. This week, we talk predominantly about his books and culture within organisations such as Netflix. Find out a bit more about what we do online at mostly.consulting. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. I've got a t-shirt on for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're, uh, I don't know, I think it's, it's easier for me to tell or explain how I, how I know you. It's, it's from your book called The Culture Deck Decoded. Yes. And uh, I thought it was a phenomenal book. And uh, you're obviously a culture man. You're, you've, uh, it's your thing, right? Yeah, it's, I'm very lucky to have found my passion, which is um, helping companies define, embed, and manage their culture. So that is, that is my thing. My um, mission in life is to help turn company culture development into a critical business function in the same way that sales, marketing, and engineering are. And yeah. so I guess I'm going to be doing that for a while. And uh, that's a big, a big mountain to climb, isn't it? Because not many people value it. No, but more and more are. Um, I think if if you were to, um, I haven't done it, but if you were to do an evaluation of Google searches over the last nine months, it's probably popped. Wow. And and uh, your book, you know, have you, I guess you've been involved with culture for a long time. How did you get into organizational culture? So I um, initially ran an executive search firm for 16 years and about four and a half, five years ago now, I was lucky enough to work with three companies, CEOs, who all had a very good understanding of their culture. And um, they specifically asked me uh, to find candidates with the right skills, experience, and match with their values. Mm. Um, and they were, they were, it was almost, they were almost in a row in terms of the, the flow of this. And that's where actually the, search, the searches were much harder to do but the outcomes of the searches, both in terms of the process, the interviews, and the outcomes for the companies later, were significantly better. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where the penny dropped for me, as I realized, hold on, there's something different here. And I initially, I thought it was just company culture for startups. But then I, I started interviewing um, leaders of startup and high growth companies. And actually, I interviewed over 50 of them for my, my next, the, the following book which is going to be published at the end of September. And that actually, I had to speak to over 500 companies to get 50 where the interview was meaningful. Yes. Yeah. And so I did a lot of interviews that ended up ending up at a dead end because as soon as I'd heard this company's got a great culture, but as soon as I started to peel away the, the, the layers of the onion, I realized there was nothing below the surface. A lot of it was hot air. Um, and then, are you familiar with like Gore, Gore Associates? Um, yes, yes, 
So they had the enterprise that they defined for their culture. And to me, it's similar to what Netflix did with their culture um, deck. You know, there was a one pager for Gord and the enterprise and it was, it was genius. You know, it had the purpose, the values, the principles, uh, you know, and, and it had, had much more to it than that and what influenced it and, and what's the direction of travel, what's the vision for Gore. Uh, and and it, was, it was slightly less detailed than the, the culture deck, but it's phenomenally powerful and it stood the company so, you know, the test of time, you know, it's done really well off the back of it. And any problems they've had in recent years is because of the, the lack of alignment with their intended culture. Yeah. And then can you think of many companies that have, that have kind of defined it and have been successful so, so long? So, um, so Gore, I think, is probably 60, 70 years old now in terms of the age of the company. Yeah. Um, I know that HP did a good job until they, you know, they let the um, external influences impact their culture and, and, and didn't stick to their knitting, as it were. Um, uh, I would say probably Coca-Cola have done quite a good job. Um, they got a strong culture. And is it, um, is it transparent? Is it out in the open what their culture no, is? Not, 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 not as much as some of the other companies um, that we know of and that, that we've read about. And that was um, fundamental what, what Netflix did, right? They released their culture deck and the CEO of Facebook said this is the most, uh, was it, uh, fundamental document ever to come out of the valley. Yeah, or, yeah. So those lines. Another one, actually, just to go back to your first point, is 3M actually were, were, were yes. in, um, in, the, in the 1910s or 20s. They set their culture up, and that stood them the test of time. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, Reed Hastings decided to publish uh, the culture deck because he was tired of, uh, there you go, no rules, rules. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, I'm dying to, but I haven't had a chance sure. to read it. Because I'm only chapter in because it's, it's just been released, you know, but it's very good yeah. so far. I, I'm looking forward to getting my teeth into it because I... Um, this one, same author. Yeah. Very good as well. I read that as well. Uh, culture map, very good. And um, so Hastings decided to launch the culture deck because he got tired of a going through. They were doing a lot of recruiting and going through the culture deck, which is 125 pages, with all the new onboarding people, and and realizing that once he'd gone through the culture deck, half of the people that they've spent all of this time hiring didn't want to be there once he'd explained how it worked. So he thought he'd get ahead of that, and so he decided to publish it. I think since then, 20 million people have have, um, have viewed it online. So you know, hugely impactful and hugely successful document. And then you know, it's it's radical, and, and it's laid out in this book. You know, Blockbuster uh, rejected them. Uh, you know, they said we'll buy you for, or they wanted 50 million to be bought by not Net, uh, Blockbuster, and then Blockbuster said, you know, you're joking. You know, forget that. And then 10 years later, Blockbuster didn't exist and they did because of their culture, you know? And, and the fact that they, they, they were so innovative and, and, and empowered people and gave them responsibility and, and sort of control of their own lives as opposed to being controlled, which is so traditional for big companies to do. And uh, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. And, and I think your book, I really liked just because you sewed in different and other influences, you know, and, and, and I don't know how, did you have to work hard to find companies that you could talk about in terms of, I think you referenced LinkedIn and Hootsuite and, and others too, right? 
Yeah, so so what I'd actually what I'd actually done is I'd read all of these culture decks anyway because um, I was interested to see what people were communicating. And, and then, then can I ask, sorry, was it easy to get that information, or are you on the phone to people saying any chance you could send me your culture? No, it's all available. If you if you do a search for culture deck on SlideShare, there are hundreds and hundreds of these. So and I and I read most of them at the time, and and I. I wrote a blog post on, you know, the best culture decks on the web. And that still is one of my highest read uh, blog posts to this day. And that was the reason why I decided to write the book is I thought actually it was actually supposed to be a marketing ebook for the launch of the main book. And I actually, um, when I started to, to, to write own your culture, um, I just, I just hit, I don't know if it's a writer's block. I'm not much of a writer, but I just hit the wall. I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of what I was doing. So I just decided to write this ebook about culture decks and I really enjoyed it. And I mm. think, I think if it's, you know, if I'm, if I'm honest, it's a little bit of a lazy book because I'm taking somebody else's content and mm. commenting on it as a subject matter expert or as a potential candidate. And so, so I went through these decks and I thought, you can't just use Netflix because that's Netflix's culture. You can't just use Valve's because that's Valve's culture. And you can't just use Hootsuite's. But what are the best slides in there that I could, I could you know, cluster into a framework? And that's how I came to, to, to write it, really. Wow. And in terms of management consultant space, do you know many management consultancies that have got a culture deck well-defined? Well I don't know the space very well, but I do know that um, because of the nature of, of how management consultants work, you do actually have to have quite a well-defined culture because it's, it's, it's quite a fluid environment. It's an agile environment and it requires a certain um, ability, uh, mental agility, and, and, and then just flexibility around working. And so, I haven't really done any research into this, but I do have a couple of good friends in, in management consultancy and Accenture work like Accenture works. Hmm. And obviously it's, there's a, there's a deliberate, there's a significantly deliberate element around that. And then the other firms work the way they work, but, but it's, it's really just because um, you need, you need a structure around the flexibility of the way management consultants work. So I haven't come across it, you know, I haven't come across it, you know, deliberately in terms of what I've read about um, culture decks from these companies, but I'm sure they have a very strong culture documentation uh, internally. I, I worked in two consultancies and one was an engineering firm that I spent nine years at and, you know, hugely successful and, and, and it, it was around for 75 years before it got bought by a Canadian firm, uh, approximately. And, and it's like, it was very traditional sort of that machine, you know, with loads of layers of management and loads of bureaucracy and offices, et cetera. And, and they had values that were uh, expressed, but then just the nature of big organizational politics and, and kind of, and, and it happens in any farm and, and no farms at fault. It's just the way that these things go. But it was like, there were so many non-congruent behaviors with the values that were expressed and then the values, you know, they're just hearsay. They're on the mats, the, the mouse mats and the desktops. But 
you know, everyone was just like, when it when it came to the crunch, they didn't matter, you know, if, you know, and it was like, um, and I got so so annoyed with it. And one of the values was collaboration, but you'd see the silos, you know, traditional sort of silos had formed, and it's like they talk about silos, but then it's like the behaviors of the people at times were just so, you know, it was so stupid, so ironic that they talk about, you know, we're not about silos, and then it's like, and collaborations are 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 value but yet when it when it came to the crunch there'd be offices comparing productivity and yes we've got higher productivity than you it's like well hold on a minute we're either all on the same team and and we collaborate or you know we're separate companies and 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 we're we're fighting against each other and it was very much the latter and then i went to the small consultancy which had a real intended culture you know they'd written an ethos 18 years ago and it was based on the fact that the owner, the MD, had been in a big bureaucratic organization and he understood that people like uh, control and autonomy and, 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 and it's not there to have managers and, and, and business cards and titles, et cetera, cripple organizations. And, and lo and behold, that firm, it wins like the best, Sunday Times best companies in the UK regularly in terms of they're in the top 20, you know, one of the best yeah. small companies in the UK. And really credible, and it comes from the fact that it was really well intended, and that anyone that comes on board has to be interviewed by the MD. He he makes sure that they understand it, that they see how much waste can be caused in organisations by bureaucracy. And but then it's an engineering firm, so they have to have some bureaucracy in order to keep the quality right, etc. And yeah. Um, but then, have you heard of the corporate rebels? Um, I've come across a couple of, I think, are those the two guys who interview different companies? Yeah, I've, I've read a couple of their articles. I haven't come across them too much for a while. Um, but to be fair, Frank, I've been dealing with uh, two children under three, uh, wow. a book to publish, a pandemic, and a, a day job to uh, run. So um, I I, I've, I've, my head's been down a little bit. Yeah, and, and just to help you out if you go to the you don't have to read the book as such but if you go to their website there's the eight trends of organizations and it's a lot to do with what you're all about there's so many parallels but you know moving from from profit to being about purpose and values and organizations which play the infinite game as simon sinek would say you know and 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 have that northern star with a purpose and have values that they ensure that they measure you know and and they, they had a phenomenal uh mentality of traveling around the world for two years, meeting the four the founders of all these different companies. And they had this bucket list. Such and they had a lot idea. of fun, right? A lot <laughs> of fun. But now I'm like, well, you can do that from an attic. I'm in Glasgow in Scotland here and I'm in an attic. And I'm just, I'm trying to form a consultancy with two friends. Or we formed it. And we've been going for 90 days. We're trying to write our culture, create a culture deck inspired by you. And it's like, uh, it's funny because you can just pick up the, you can get a Zoom link to anyone in the world right now and have a you know ask politely take an interest in their culture yeah and it it, it guides us so much that that you know I, th- I think it's going to be you know not not groundbreaking but it'll serve us service very well if we get it right and and it'll supplement our business plan really well and it's such a good advert because if we want to ever speak to people about setting up a you know defining a culture it's like well here's what we did it's in the public domain it's on our website you know it's and that's inspired by Netflix and others, but but uh, but yeah, I don't know if it's been done in the management uh, consulting space. And from what I hear of big management consultancies, there's so many toxic 
behaviors that there's something going wrong with the culture. And and I think that's often the case. I, I it's it's hard to 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 scale get to that scale and for there not to be politics and people that don't live the the values. Um, by the same token, if I look at a company like um, Microsoft and the way Nadella has turned that business around, both financially and culturally, you know, if you are deliberate about your culture and you've got a good base, which a lot, you know, a lot of companies do, then you can, you know, you can work the right way and do the right thing. I think, um, you know, my advice is if you have two co-founders and you, you have the capability now and you have the time now to define your values, your mission, your vision, the way you want to work, how you want to approach things. It's now is as good a time as, as any. There's no better time to do it because both consciously and subconsciously you will operate by it and, and you will, you will you know, bring people into the team who work that way, who you can relate to, et cetera, et cetera. And, and if you then go beyond that and define expected behaviors and then define interview questions against those expected behaviors, you can actually build systems that reinforce your culture. Yes. And, you don't, and your, your culture doesn't have to be separate. Your culture should be part of the systems of the business and the processes of the business. Yes. And, and you have that opportunity right now to build them into the infrastructure, to build it into the DNA. And that was our intentions. And, and I, I read this book when I did my dissertation called uh, Prime to Perform. So uh, Doshi and McGregor, two McKinsey consultants, and they came up with the concept of TOMO, total motivation and direct and indirect motivators. So your direct motivators are simple. It's play, purpose, and potential. So if you like what you do in life, uh, if you're good at numbers, then you, and you like in the finance sector, you could get a lot of play. Or you could, you know, like teaching, that could be your thing. You could be a math teacher, you could get a lot of play, or a football player, you could get a lot of play. Uh, purpose, if you have a higher purpose that you connect with and you believe in, then, then you'll, you'll be motivated to your, do your day job. If uh, your potential, if you are developing as an individual and you're learning day by day, week by week, uh, month by month, then you'll be motivated. And then there's indirect motivators such as economic pressure, emotional pressure, and inertia. So if you've got a, a big mortgage to pay and your salary just pays for your mortgage and a little bit left over, then you'll be motivated to work, but it won't necessarily make you happy. Uh, if you're in the family business and your, your dad's uh, giving you the family business to run, and there's an emotional pressure there that you let people down if you don't do well. And yeah. it, it kind of motivates you, but then again, you're not happy. And maybe one day you'll wake up and go, bloody hell, it's my dad's dream, not mine. And then the other one, inertia. Some people just drift through life doing a job and wake up one day and go, how the hell did I manage to get here? You know, I'm 50 years old. I'm in the same factory my grandfather's in. And, and it's like, it's just through inertia. It's the local factory or whatever. And it's like, you know, and it's like a concept, I think, well, these consultants, and I spoke to, spoke to them yesterday, and it's, it's radical. You can use this, these six indicators uh, uh, to, to build a whole culture and, and, and build systems, build pay and remuneration and, re and reward systems, et cetera, around these, four, these six principles and, and, and make, make work fun and, and really understand who's in, in your organization, um, you know, understand their skill sets. This is why they're paid this amount because this is the skills they've got uh, and, and, and really train. If you want to become like them, then, then, then develop yourself as an individual and, and have a real progressive organization and, and 
you're right. It's it's kind of all the systems, and we're trying to get our head around it because we're three, uh, you know, three guys that are fairly young and and we've been experienced elsewhere. But we're trying to build this company now with with different tools available, and it's like it's so accessible, it's so cheap to do now. We don't need big office blocks, uh, and and we're quite keen to scale up one day when the time's right. Uh, and at the same time, we're trying to win work and deliver work, and it's it's fun. It's a fun time to do it, but. Yeah, all-consuming. <laughs> it certainly can be in the early days. Yeah, and, and uh, how, how about life in general? Are you, you're where are you where are you at just now? You're you're at home, or yeah, based in uh, we're based in London, okay. um, and uh, I don't know if you can you may be able to hear, but I've got uh, an eleven-month-old and a, an almost three-year-old, oh, wow. um, and uh, they're keeping me very very busy, but. Um, uh, other than that, my focus really is on the launch of the book on the 30th of September. Wow. To do a book and to have two kids at that age is a stress, right? Um, yeah. They're, they're, they're no, um, there are no boundaries. They don't understand uh, work, especially in the 11-month-old. Certainly <laughs> doesn't get it. The three-year-old kind of gets it, but she gets annoyed and will ask me to come out of my office or you know, get off my phone and um, you know, come and play. Which is it's beautiful, and I and I try and make as much time as I can for it. But it's uh, I find that um, I, I I've got more time between nine and twelve, and two and five, and then after nine, um, that's that's sort of the work, the work balance has turned that way. And is your 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 wife? I guess is she is she does she get a break? Is there nursery and things or? Yeah, the, the three-year-old goes to nursery, um, but she doesn't really get a break because then the 11-month-old takes um, a, a, a lot of uh, attention. So, uh, being 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 a mother is a full is 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 a harder and full more full-time job than running a business. And I'm you know I'm in great awe of my wife. Yeah, definitely. We're obviously a good team. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? But um, and did you have a garden and stuff? Where are you in London? Are you? Yeah, just a tiny little garden. It's it's London, unfortunately, but um, we got a small garden for the kids to to run around in and and play in a bit when the when the weather's not bad, which is actually today the weather's not bad, which I'm pleased to say because I'm gonna uh, pull out pull out the braai, which is the South African for barbecue, and uh, start cooking something uh, later this afternoon with a glass of rosé. Nice. And I was going to ask you, it's like an ignorant question, but you're obviously South African. I, I got the, the twang. Are you, what's your sport? Are you a rugby fan? Or are you? Yeah, rugby. Rugby is my game. And as world champions, uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, <laughs> we, 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 we managed to get an amazing coach and pull together the right team and uh, pull the rabbit out of the bag uh, last year, which is very pleasing. Yeah, phenomenal. And, and uh, I don't know, I'd, uh, my humble brag is I met Jonah Lomu, uh, not South African, obviously, but uh, two months before he died, I watched a game of rugby with him. Oh, wow. And uh, he was in the, over in the UK promoting the World Cup. And I was asked to go along to this charity event. And lo, and lo and behold, I got to sit beside Jonah for a whole game of rugby. And then he sadly passed away, obviously, two months later. And, and uh, But I always liked rugby. I played rugby when I was nine and all the way through to university. Uh, and it's such a phenomenal sport, isn't it? It's kind of... It is it sticks with you for life, I think. Yeah, it really does because you you do beat the living daylights out of one another on the field, and then you go and have a beer. Well, not at school anyway, but after, but 
club and you 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 go and have a beer afterwards and chat and shoot the breeze and uh i think i think that level of respect is something both as a team and and as against competition is something that you um you don't get in many other places in many other games um the to go back to the the spring box i've um, I'm, I'm really hoping that the coach Rossi Erasmus is going to put a book out um because every single if you if, the way he designed the culture of that team is incredible mm. and the 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 way he operated you know i've watched all the videos on it i've I've read everything about it, and and it's just screams culture, 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 culture. Can you write that book? Pardon? You write that book? <laughs> I, I I I wouldn't mind writing that book actually. Um, That's but, your book. Uh, I'll I'll co-author it with you. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be that would be a lot of fun. Um, but but it just screams culture, and and um, it's uh, it's you know he turned that that team around in eighteen months, which is for a rugby team incredible. But then you must have read Legacy by James Kerr. No, I haven't. No. It's the All Blacks equivalent. Ah, uh, no, 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 I think I've read McCaw's book. I haven't read that one. So this goes into the, all the All Blacks mantras uh, from Maori. Um, and yeah, then like you're 14, 14 mantras. Yeah, and then like the, even the, the no dickheads thing in the All yeah, Blacks. Yeah. Everyone sweeps the shed, uh, humility, etc. Yeah. Like, and then I, yeah, I had, obviously I talked to Jonah about it quite a lot. And, you know, again, it's so, so fundamental. And, and I, I, I speak to, we've got an associate of mostly now our consultancy that, that he's worked with the England rugby team and the England football team. And it's all about culture. He was in the Marines for 33 years. And it's like how the British Marines have risen to be one of the most elite um, forces in the world, if you like. And it comes down to values and integrity and, and discipline and respect. And, 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 and there's so many parallels between sports and, and, and good organizations as well, like good clubs, good teams that, that thrive. It's, it's not by chance. It's because of you know, the management team, the back office staff, the players that they have the right mindset and 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 yeah there's certain teams that have have it right and the all blacks obviously had a, a long legacy i think statistically the book's full of stats on how it's one of the most successful teams in the world you know sporting yeah it's, it is the most successful sporting team ever phenomenal um, isn't it it's yeah. incredible incredible but then i i can i could say to you we could tap up people in the south african team and say we want to write this book on culture about the African team. And then you just in Zoom calls, we could do it remotely, uh, do a series of interviews. And, and you just, just say that again. Sorry, James. You, you I'm could, saying, I'm saying we could, this, we, could, we could interview, we could contest this, this, this era that we live in right now, like the same way I'm speaking to you. You could speak to every one of the players in the team, uh, the coaching staff, the receptionist, I don't know, whoever, uh, the cleaners. And, and, and define their culture if it's not already defined, just through interviews. And, and you could write a really nice book about the South African team that won the World Cup. Yeah, I am, I'm um, all written out at the moment. This book- I'm your uh, man, I'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> this, this book broke me um, a little bit, so uh, I'm gonna have to, 
uh, take a breather before I even think of writing another another sentence that doesn't involve responding to emails or Slack messages or something because my um, but yeah, it's it, it it's a great idea and there is a real gem in that story. There really, really is. Um, does uh, do you make like no? This is a personal question, but do you make money from books? Do you think, or is it very much just building your personal brand and, and kind of your reputation in the field? No, it's not about um, uh, making money from the book. Uh, this book sales. Um, that's not that's not not my expectation. It would be nice, of course, but um, it's it's not something I expect to happen. But the um, uh, there's a book that I highly recommend. Um, it's called The Millionaire Messenger, and okay. it's I can't remember who it's written by. So I've got I've got some disparaging things to say about it, but actually I I, I recommend you read the book. Okay, it's, I'll write it's, the same. It's, it's very it's very American, which I don't like. It's quite rah rah, but the brilliance of it is, and I don't like it anything with a title like Million or Billion in it. Make it just makes me want to throw it away. Yes, but a friend a friend of mine advised me to read it when I was starting this business before I started this business. And he said, he said, you need to think of your, of becoming a subject matter expert. And this was three and a half, four years ago. And I picked up the book and I chewed through the American part of it, but actually the brilliance of it is it's, is the author is a subject matter expert on subject matter expertise. And he's teaching you how to become a subject matter expert. Hmm bit meta, but it literally gives you a, you know, play by play, do the following things over the course of the book. And I've not done all of them, but I've done a lot of them to get to, to, to becoming a subject matter expert on company culture, specifically in startup and high growth companies. And, and I, so I recommend the book because it is a, you know, it's, 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 it gives you um, a structure with, to approach this subject matter expertise. And he argues that it can, you can, in two years, you can become a subject matter expert on anything. Hmm. Obviously not deep technical brain surgery or, you know, where you've actually had to go and do it yourself, but on, on other, on, on normal sort of day-to-day -day life things, um, you can become a subject matter expert. And is there is that the thing about being a consultant? And you know, I've been a consultant for a good few years now. But you know, you can't be everything to everyone, and you you've got to kind of you know try and specialize and 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 study and 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 I I don't know if I'll ever use the term expert, but to be to be deep have a deep knowledge in something is 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 important, right? It's kind of your your signature, if you like, you know. Yeah, I think once you, if you choose, or if you know what you you're interested in and passionate about, and you know, you know that that's then it's actually not a chore. My mm -hmm. biggest frustration in finishing this book, which took me much longer than it should have, has been not being able to read. You know that book, No Rules Rules, is is I haven't even opened the box it's in the Amazon box it's in. Because I would, because it would have, it would have frustrated me. I want to read that book. I want to read, you know, I want to know more and more and more. I, there's no, I'm, I know more than most people in, in my field when it comes to startups and high growth companies, but I still know nothing. I still got so much to learn. I want to wind you up. Some of the illustrations are good as well. <laughs> that is, that is winding me up. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the world cup, so I'm just going to wind you up even more. All right. Okay. Fair enough. 
I'm joking. I won't tease you. You're listening to Mostly Talk. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a review? Thanks for listening. Now, back to it. I'll take your advice. I, I like the idea of studying culture more because I really like strategy as well. You know, and, and, you know, to facilitate workshops, strategic workshops, and things, good fun. And there's so many tools now you can do it with, and we we've, we've do scenario planning. I love scenario planning, like think about the future and how things can pan out. So I like, I like the idea of taking a career that direction. But to me, at this phase that we're at, it's all about culture because, you know, it's about getting our culture right, that we have alignment between the three co-founders, the associates that are on our, our books, they understand it. And then when we recruit someone next year, it's like, this is what we're all about. And it's like, I get it. And, and it's, it's such a fun time to, to kind of get the sleeves rolled up and apply that knowledge that you, that you helped me with, to be honest. I think the, the book is, you said it's kind of a, a lazy way to write a book, but it's such a nice illustrative way. And, and I'm slightly dyslexic, so it probably was the reason why I thumbed it heavily. It's, it was just really well laid out. I liked it. Well, I'm really glad and I'm thankful that, that um, you, got, you got value from it. Um, the Own Your Culture is 70,000 words. So it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a different book. Uh, but actually, yeah. Own Your Culture is similar in the way that there's a framework within which to approach developing your culture from values definition, mission, vision, from defining the expected behaviors to turning them into interview questions, you know, dealing, you know, setting up your website so that it is designed to attract the right people, you know, from a culture perspective, interviews based on values, not culture fit, Um, you know, onboarding, probation, all of the interviews I've done are sprinkled throughout the book so that you actually get real life examples of what a company like Algolia, which is a a software company originally out of France, now in Silicon Valley, growing incredibly well. They're a a search engine, you know, it's a a, search for enterprise. And they, they, you know, they they worked on their culture from the really beginning, like like you are, and it's paid dividends. You know, they, they, in in the book, I talked to Nicholas about how, they dropped the ball with culture because things were going so well. And then they had to, then, then they realized we've let it slip and then they had to pick it up again. They also talk about, you know, diversity, how they were, they were always inclusive, but they realized that they weren't so inclusive because they weren't diverse. So that what they did then to become more diverse in their engineering team. And, and it's, it's examples that you and, 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 and other companies can literally test um, in real time with, with, with your teams and, and, and as you grow the business. And do you think, like, if you read, I know I'm, I'm probably winding you up again by saying this, but if you read No Rules Rules, would it change your view on certain things or did you, you kind of... No, not, not at all. Ah. I think, I think um, company culture is unique to each company. Hmm. And you can borrow things. You can borrow things from different companies. So Carter, for example, which is a successful software business, has borrowed from Netflix, but flipped certain things the other way. Netflix pay top market rates. Carter say they don't, but they operate like a pro, pro. But they both both companies operate like a pro sports team. Yes. So you can you can you you're, you've got to understand that your culture is unique to you and your business and your founders, and the team that you've got, 
and you've got to then define what that is. You can borrow certain things, but if you, for example, um, uh, are, if, you, if you want to create a family type culture, then you can't really be Netflix because they're a pro sports team culture and they will fire you if you're not operating at excellence. Yes. So there's that difference between you've got to understand what your culture is, what culture you want to build, and then define it through your values and your mission and your vision and your behaviors. Yes. And then, and then embed that into what you do, how you work with customers, how you communicate with customers, how you hire, how you fire, how you promote, how you reward and recognize what you measure, what you control, what you pay attention to, how you do learning and development. All of these elements of embedding have to be brought into your culture. And it's the more deliberate you can be, the more, I believe, the more chance you've got of being successful. And this is very much a sequel to Culture Deck Decoded. So Culture Deck Decoded was kind of superficial. Here's what other companies do and, and covered all those bases you just said. And this book that you're writing or about to publish is the how-to, essentially. Exactly. It's, so the way I look at Culture Dex Decoded is it's actually the next step on. In other words, if you have a culture and you've worked hard on, on certain elements, you will, especially in this new remote or hybrid work environment, you have to document your culture. If you don't document your culture, you, you're not going to do onboarding very successfully. You're not going to be able to, you know, your team will slowly but surely, the glue will slowly but surely disintegrate. And, and dissolve and, and, and weaken between the, if you don't document your culture and share it and spread it. That's an interesting one for me is this sort of remote working. And, and I, I see it, or we, we've kind of discussed this as co-founders, that there's the hybrid, you know, we, we like human interaction and we want to see each other. And, and it's about, you know, is there any companies that you can see that, you know, obviously lockdown 2020 is a real cultural shift for organizations. Some have excelled at this remote working thing others have crumbled and 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 it's is there any exemplars on that side that you can say listen these guys do it really well because the tech firms i guess have done it for years in places there's kind of they don't believe in presenteeism it's about contribution as opposed to the number of hours on a timesheet so is there any is there any good examples that you could point to that that do the the hybrid model if you like very well I think, to be honest, it's too early to say um, because most of the leaders I speak to are kind of coming to terms with hybrid. Mm. Um, from what I can see, they're, they're, they, some leaders are going, oh, no, please let this end. And some leaders are saying, the cat's out of the bag. There's nothing we can do about this now. Some of our, some of our team want to be remote. Yeah, that one. Who moved my cheese, exactly. Yeah. Um, the cat's out of the bag. Um, some of our team insist on working remote. Some of our team want, want flexibility and others want to work in an office. And that's just the new reality now. It's the reality of where we are. Um, and we're not going back because people have realized that there is, there is sometimes often more to life when you can work from home. Not everybody's enjoying it, especially the younger people are not enjoying it at all um, because it's not, you know, they want to be in an office. They want to learn through osmosis. But the, um, the, the, the future of, I believe the future of work is getting hybrid right. You have to operate as a remote, remote first organization. Yes. So the companies, it's too early to tell now because the companies are not really fully, most leaders don't really know where we are and they don't really know what's, what, 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 you know, how to adapt. But the companies that are going remote first right now 
and are, ta are taking on remote type behaviors so that the remote people are, are appreciated and respected are the ones that are, are, are really, you know, they are well positioned, but, but, but I, I couldn't call out any companies just yet. Yeah, and that's the way we think it is that, you know, we're a startup, overhead's really low, we don't need big fancy office blocks, but we miss each other, we want to hang out with each other, we don't necessarily need to do it every day of the week, but, you know, even, uh, you know, there's coffee shops that have uh, spaces that you can be creative in, there's uh, hotels that can you rent out a room, there's the we work culture, there's, and then we all live within, you know, two, three miles of each other, maybe, maybe slightly more, and it's like, it would be nice where once a week we'd get together, you know, uh, do team meetings and, and have that hybrid model. Clients, like this sort of stuff I'm doing with clients all around the world right now, our potential clients certainly as well, because we're just starting up. But it, it is kind of like you can build trust through Zoom, I think. You can do business through Zoom and, and checks will get signed because of it. But it's far easier to do stuff face to face. But then even the... You know, we really like the net zero stuff. You know, net zero is so critical and, and our generation in particular are really conscious of the fact that we've got to change how we do business. I can't I used to fly to Dubai for four hours before a night in a hotel at a four hour meeting and then back, you know, a costly, you know, not just monetary terms, but also to the environment. And and that's that's got to stay with us, those habits. I, I find it hard to believe that we will be flying as much as we did for business. And, and, and that's, that's, that's got to happen, would you say? Yeah, the, the, the world has changed and we're not going back. Um, I do think sales is harder. Um, and some companies, are, their culture is designed around human interaction. And actually, I think this is where Netflix have, have their culture will allow them to adapt to a certain degree. But actually, they rely on creativity. They rely on, rely on ideas. And it's possible to do creativity and ideas through this you know, medium of Zoom or, or Teams or whatever it is. But it's not ideal um, in comparison to the perfect world of, of, of being in a room together. It's possible. It's harder uh, to do it remote. And I think, I think one of Netflix's challenges in terms of adapting to this situation is they are they their culture is designed around that radical candor um that uh freedom uh responsibility and ideas and creativity and coming up with the best solution and that often requires random interactions that are just harder to do on you know remote so i think certain cultures that are strongly defined uh, Netflix will do the transition really quickly and easily because you know they won't they won't ask anybody for permission. They'll just do what needs to be done. But actually, I think as a company, they will they will struggle on the creative ideation side of things and the human element side of things in their culture, which is a critical. It's been critical uh, yeah, part yeah. of their culture. And I'd be I wouldn't wish this on us, but if COVID went on for quite a while. I would be very interested to try and understand how they were adapting to that. And then, you know, like, um, you know, mural, like collaborative boards and stuff like that, where you can essentially everyone has their own post-it notes and posting them up and creativity is a lot more than, than post-it notes, obviously. And is it, you know, to read body language and, and to understand and not be even interruptions on a zoom call become very clumsy if there's 10 people on it and, and it becomes very functional, doesn't it? It's like a, 
or transactional. I, I don't know. It's it's difficult, but I don't know. It's such new territory, and it'll take time for the answers to come out of it and and all the facts. I guess. I mean, I think if you look at a company like GitLab, GitLab have a thousand three hundred fully remote employees. They have, um, you know, they've been creating and developing successfully for many years remotely. But they've had the advantage of knowing what type of people they want to hire, people who are, who are comfortable working from home, people who are, you know, uh, not necessarily, well, definitely don't need to see people in an office environment where some people do require that. There are some people who do. And so, but it is, you know, they, they've got it right. So you can see that it's possible to get this right. And Mural and other types of technologies will help that. But I do think brainstorming, optimally done in a team that works well together and there's no big mouths or dominating characters. I think in that environment, the team and the experience of that will just be better. And I, I like that I, I did, uh, I'm a facilitator when I was an engineer, I facilitate meetings and then lockdown hit this year and I was facilitating a workshop with 18 participants from Singapore, Malaysia, Norway, uh, Scotland, uh, I think India as well at one point. And, and, you know, 18 people and it was like, you know, it, you could almost give everyone their turn and, and, and you know, it, it was a very different dynamic in that I had control. I could mute everyone if I wanted to as a facilitator. Uh, we had the chat box and everyone could throw in information into the chat box. Whereas if you had a meeting, it's like passing bits of paper and does anyone printed off that off? Is, uh, and it's like there was efficiencies to be had by the virtual environment that we had, you know, and, and I'd say that, you know, and even the introverts, they could put uh, questions in or, or say stuff, contribute when they wouldn't normally. And then it became that I could be having a dialogue with the, like the lead engineer. And then there might be someone who's, you know, whether it's a cultural thing or just they're not used to speaking up in meetings, but they'd be putting information into the chat box. And that was very different that you would, and if you had those 18 people in the room, it would have been a very different dynamic. And, and it was actually, there was pros and cons, you know? And yeah, in certain, certain scenarios, um, that technology can work better. So if you do have some people who should be in, engaged and um, participating, but don't feel comfortable doing that in a, in a personal way, in a group setting, uh, in person setting, then that can be more of a challenge. But, um, uh, you know, so I just think some companies and probably um, sort of media agencies fit into this generally. They 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 would rely on uh, the in-person experience a little bit more than uh, some other companies. But it can be done, and companies are going to have to work out how to do um, uh, hybrid well, because if they don't, their best people will leave to go and work at fully remote companies. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, up until nine months ago, there were a handful of really good remote companies, well-driven, well-run, well, well run, successful remote companies. There are now thousands more because thousands more companies are realizing remote is for us. We can do it and we're comfortably comfortable doing it. And if you're building a fully remote culture and you're going to go with a remote first approach, then... I, as an employee in a hybrid world, may end up feeling like a second-class citizen because I'm not included in discussions and meetings. I have to advocate more for my work and for who I am. 
I'm not sure if the other person who's at the office working with the manager all day is going to get the promotion because they're in the manager's face. Um, you know, I don't experience the work and the culture in the same way. Um, I don't experience the banter, the chat, the camaraderie in the same way. Why would I want to stay in that environment where I feel like a second class citizen when I can go and work in a company where I am respected and, and, and feel like and, and, and operate like a first class citizen? And then, and then it kind of like there's time zone restrictions, but you could essentially work in anywhere in the world. We can employ people from the Philippines because they've got, you know, very good customer service skills, you know, and they're willing to shift their time zone slightly because we could pay them more money than they could get in the local market. And it, it, it changes the whole world of resources, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, are, there are issues that, that uh, people on the other side of the world bring to the party it's not that easy to go and hire somebody in many countries around the world. It's, there are lots of tax implications that you have to yes. get your head around. There are also the time zones really drive a, a, a working model towards asynchronous communication versus synchronous communication. So working in offices, we were used to immediate response. Being in synchronicity is our sort of that's our expected modus operandi in offices. Yeah, even yeah. you know some people some people were even using um, uh, email as a synchronous communication medium, where it's where it's more an asynchronous or semi-synchronous communication medium. And if you look at all of the remote companies, so I've studied all of these companies extensively over the last eight months. But GitLab, Git, uh, GitLab, GitHub. Zapier, Toptel, Buffer, Hotjar, and many others use asynchronous communication very effectively because you can't rely on synchronous communication. Mm. And synchronous communication ends up burning people out. So if you have somebody in uh, Sao Paulo in Brazil and somebody in Singapore, and you don't work out how to write the right email with the right context to that person, that person may have to wait a full 48 hours to get a response to a question that you, that you, of, of an email you sent. Yes. Because you didn't give enough context in the email, they, they're going, hold on, what? And essentially for, 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 for a whole day, they didn't do any work. Yes. Or did some work because they were hampered by your, your lack of ability to communicate asynchronously. It's interesting because I had a, a friend at a local bike shop I go in and he's one of the best salesmen in the world, right? He's, he's going in and I learned so much from him about bike sales. And uh, I said that to him, you're such a good salesman. And he says, it's not selling, it's just helping people buy. But they had a big uh, German supplier. I won't mention the name, but they, they basically stopped uh, taking bikes from them because they send them an email and it took so long, they wouldn't answer the question, right? They, they asked for, you know, how much am I due in my bill? this month and they would all all the answers should have been was a number and it's just question after question after question it took so long to correspond with them that they just got fed up of it but the same could happen internally in an organization right yeah. you're just frustrated also the, the the person in singapore is not de definitely not speaking brazilian um and so that lost in translation element is is a big a big issue as well massive yeah and I, I've only got a couple more minutes, but I'd want a couple more questions if I may. One is like family values, okay? Do you think there's a market right now for defining family values? 
or is there that are, too far? There, there are a couple of um, there are a couple of books on this, and there there is actually a I can't remember the name of it now, but there's a very interesting card game um, that you can play about the values, and this is you know which are our family values, and this is the this is the circumstance we find ourselves in. How do we, you know, so uh, Johnny broke broke a broke a plate. What do our values say we should do? Wow. So there is that people have been doing stuff in this area um, for, 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 for a while. I don't know if you've ever discovered Bob Keeler, but he did a TED talk on values. I'll send you a link to it. And it's very good. He's, an Aberdo- uh, he's from Aberdeen. He's the CEO of Wood Group at the time. Uh, you know, very successful oil and gas company. Uh, and Sir Ian Wood, I think he'd be the richest man in Scotland at one stage. Uh, and then Bob Keeler took over his uh, leadership from him. And he told this story about values and I discovered values through the TED talk really. And I knew a bit about values obviously, but uh, it, it really crystallized my learning on, on values and, and, and it got me intrigued and why I took my uh, direction, my career direction in, into culture really. But then I, at the time I was like, you know, we don't, we're not a religious family. You know, I, I had my, I think my grandfather, I know my grandfather was a minister, but then the religion never got passed down to the next generation and we're <laughs> younger. Right. And it's, you know, and just the way of the world, we, we, that's just the, what we believe now, right? But I was like, but we lack, you know, values in some sense, or we lack uh, defined values. And it's like, so I, I wrote them down, what's our family values, you know? And, 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 and I thought, in my head anyway, and my boys are two and four, but then I want to engrave those, ingrain those words into their heads, you know, as to why you have to be polite, why you have to be considerate. You know why you have to care for other people, and it's like you know, it's like you know, point to the fridge at some point when they misbehave and say, "Hey, come on, that's out of line with the family values." But I never knew there was a card deck. I'm going to research it and find it. I can't remember the name of it. Um, I came across it ages ago, and I, I'll, I'll try and see if I can find it and, and send you a link if I can. Tremendous. And then cool. outside of that, okay, so COVID nineteen. This is a bigger issue now. Uh, so you're the man that's going to solve it. So all around the world, we've kind of had these sort of, I'd say like we focus on nationalistic, we focus on our nations, right? Take care of ourselves. But it's like we could have learned from, you know, whoever, the Vietnamese, the Japanese, the Singaporeans, how they did things. But we're too busy fighting and politicizing this, this issue, and particularly in the UK and, the, and America. And it's like, could we not have a global set of values that we can all align with as to how countries should behave you know collaboration being key integrity being key and then having a, a charter that however many nations in the world go you know what we all agree with these four values i don't that, that, i i don't i don't I, this is this black hole i don't want to go down <laughs> this is this is that this must be one of the most disappointing um parts of I don't know. I've never come across, never experienced such, such uh, poor leadership as we have now. Such it's it's just appalling, um, and 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 disappoint. The words that are, I don't even want to think about it. It's very, very, very disappointing, disturbing. And then short termists, right? They're only worried about their bum on the seat. And it's and, like uh, one of the one of the people I follow quite closely is a guy named Ray Dalio and he's yeah Bridgewater principles. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. And he, he, he's been, he was saying in an article I read in a while back, he was saying 
we're in a disconcerting stage that we are in a similarish situation politically and as to where the world is to where the world was in 1937-38 before the second world war mm. there is similar stresses on the system financially and there's this nationalistic nationalistic thing coming through covid wasn't thrown into the mix then but I, and i don't know what how covid Im- influences this it just makes it worse and makes on the one hand it makes people button in but on the other hand hopefully we can learn to share and learn to learn but i don't know i just think i just think um we we haven't realized the effect that social media has given to politicians in power I don't think Boris Johnson cares because he knows how to manipulate the system to get the votes. So it doesn't matter anymore. Dominic does, I think, right? Dominic I think, I think, I think uh, that um, Orange Idiot is the same. Um, you know, I don't, think, uh, I don't think he cares. I don't Have you watched The Social Dilemma? No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to stay in a generally good mood at the moment. <laughs> well, don't watch that then. Don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it blows your mind, Brett, honestly. It's, it's so much, there's so much going on in the world at the moment. I'm just trying to keep, keep as much space in my head for good stuff rather than read. A, you know, I do not, we do not have television. I do not read newspapers. Wow, um, because it's it's just I'm what? the same. It doesn't actually further your life in any way. No, right? I read the Economist, and and occasionally I'll see stuff going on in Twitter. But at least I can flick off and turn it off. Yes, um, yeah. yeah. You should be a, a philosopher. You'll be a world leader one day, I'm sure. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, there are better people than than me at that. That's for sure. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stick to culture. I'll just do culture. I'm gonna follow in your footsteps, and and it's been phenomenal speaking to you. James, great speaking to you. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I look forward to your feedback once you've read the book. Um, you know, you've, you've, you've read a lot of other books about culture and you know a lot about culture and you're obviously working on it. So um, your I'm feedback... Gonna, I'm going to send really you bad. the money so you can sign the book and send it to me in person. No, no, no. I'll, I'll send you one anyway. Don't worry. You just order <laughs> the book and give me a good review on Amazon. I'll do that for sure. No bother. <laughs> and even I'll, I'll go back and, and review your other books because... Uh, other books, sorry. Because I loved it. I really did. It was tremendous. Excellent. Well, thanks very much. Thank you. And take care of your family and, and, and all the best for your barbecue. You too. Thanks. Have a good weekend. Stay yes, safe. Yes. Cheers. <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of Mostly Talk. I've been James Brewster and that was Breton Putter, culture expert and a gentleman. Check out his various books, uh, Culture Deck Decoded and Own Your Culture, his latest one. Uh, really good references for anyone wanting to shake up the culture within their organizations. Next episode, I'll be talking to Scotty Mills, OBE, a former Marine of 33 years. Scotty is a legend. He's uh, been all over the world through his career in the military, and he is a bit of an expert on values and culture, um, particularly taking experience from the Marines to professional sports teams such as the England rugby team that won the World Cup and the England FA. Really good friends with Gareth Southgate as well. Uh, So yeah, look forward to that episode and tune in if you get the time. Thanks for listening to Mostly Talk. Find us online at mostly.consulting and if you enjoyed today's show, why not leave us a review or tell a friend. Thank you.